Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome to the wide world of biblical studies. I say wide because we do rather approach scripture uh, at a wide angle and zoom in at some things, but also because our creative director said it would be a whole lot better if I filmed this in landscape rather than portrait, so it wouldn't look as weird on your devices. So let's see, you can let me know. Also, uh, we're about to start 1 John the now, so you'll be wanting to get your, your books out. Um, but after this, we can go a couple of different directions. We've talked about this before. Email me if you have a preference. One is to go through the Old Testament in chunks in the way it was written. Uh, we really can't in the order it was written because there are quite a lot of edits and redos in the Old Testament. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not inspired or good. It just means that's the way it was put together. We can do that. Uh, and we, or. We can do Jesus stories where I go through the Gospels, as I've done for Bible classes before. And if that, um, if you'd rather do that first, let me know. And then whichever one we don't do, we'll probably do the other one after. All right. So let me know. Here we are. First John. I can remember once being at a church where they had the young men. Young women weren't allowed at this church to to speak publicly. I know. But the young men stood up on a Wednesday night. It was to give them practice to get up in front of a, a crowd. You know, I don't know how many people were there. It was under 100, but it was a sizable group for a Wednesday night in the region in which this was. And the event for the night was that the young men were going to be reading First John. And that's it. There, there no commentary, no devotional, just reading First John. And the young men got up and they did a fine job. Um, absolutely no complaints. As I was listening, however, I was thinking, if this was a sermon, and if one of these young men were a bit older and were trying out, as they like to say, for a pulpit to see, you know, does, do the people like his delivery? Do they think he's orthodox enough? And, and all that sort of thing. If his sermon was First John, would he be hired by this denomination that I was visiting? And the answer was no. And then I started thinking about other denominations that if you stood up and said, here's my sermon, you might get in a lot of trouble. It's rather like reading a, a troublesome passage like that in James, where he says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of the poor, the widows, the orphans, and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Most churches would say, and our confession of faith, and our doctrines. And what, you know, and if you stuck with the James, you probably wouldn't get hired. Well, you probably wouldn't hire Paul anyway, because the man's not married. He has a police record. Come on, you know, we, we would weed out the very people that wrote our Bibles. First John is such a unique book. It is so love intensive. And it's that way for a reason. By the time First John was being written, and by the way, there is almost no doubt 
that John the Apostle wrote 1 John. Biblical scholars like to doubt everything and question everything and I enjoy the, those kind of arguments going back and forth reading them. I don't participate. But when it comes to 1 John, people are saying the language is right, personality is right, position in the other letters is right. John wrote it and John seems to have written it in response, one, to a man that he was, he was really having to fight. There's a man named Serenthus or Serenthus, uh, C-E-R-I-N-T-H-U-S, who was teaching at this time what would later develop into a form of Gnosticism. And that is that Jesus was not divine at birth, that he came into this world in the usual way as the, the great cats in the cradle would phrase it, uh, and that he only became divine later in life, but his divinity was sub-Jehovah. Uh, there, there are so many different versions of Gnosticism, and there's so many different versions of this form of you know, Docetism or Arianism, where we, we make Christ high, but we don't elevate him to deity, certainly not to deity on the same par as God the Father. And John absolutely rejects that sort of notion. Uh, if you remember, he starts off his, his gospel with an incredible, I mean, one of the most powerful, beautiful passages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he, this burst of light in the darkness, the darkness doesn't get it, and now it's going to be at war with it, and light versus darkness is the whole of the gospel of John. All of John's miracles are creative miracles, not restorative miracles. Not, um, you know, I'm going to make your... your um, I don't know, your liver function better. It's always, you know, you've never walked, now you can. You couldn't see, now you can. Water, now it's wine. It's always this creative power, this light bursting into the darkness. Well, John is writing in response to this, and he elevates Christ. You know, if you love the book of Hebrews, you're going to love the book of uh, 1 John, but for a whole different reasons, but one reason will be the same is that they elevate Christ. And the second the second thing that he does here is not mentioned by a lot of scholars, but it, it historically has to be one of the reasons he wrote this book. If you remember when John was finishing the Gospel of John, he made a comment that many, many more things could be written, that the whole world couldn't hold the stories and there's not enough paper to write them down. Well, there was a bit of hyperbole there, uh, and that's allowed because that's, that's the way we talk. But also, you know, practically speaking, one man couldn't write down everything that Jesus had done, and paper was expensive, hard to get, so yeah, I get that too. But what happens when the apostles start dying and the first generation goes away? I heard a, a lady today uh, sent a video out to social media so all could see about how her generation, and she was a younger person. By the way, I'm not against Generation Z or Millennials. I don't play those games. This particular lady, that's all, was saying how her generation had it so much harder than anything their grandparents had to face because she's having a hard time finding a job with the major that she had gone to college for, university, 
and gone into debt for and I have I have sympathy for that and, and I wish you'd chosen a different one but you know we need artists as well as computer people so I get that <coughs> we don't we don't want the world to be decorated by people like me uh, have you seen behind we want people uh, they have all kinds of things so I understood this but she kept going on about how they've never faced challenges and I'm thinking your grandfather landed at Normandy and had to fight past the body parts of his best friends to then makeshift ladders and makeshift weapons and climb up cliffs in the face of machine gun fire. They might know what a challenge is. We often forget what happens when a generation passes. And the fact is the World War II generation did not share their stories as much as we would have liked because in that generation, you didn't talk about these things. You didn't come home and talk about how you cried. You never did that. You kept it in and that was to the detriment of you, but it was also just part of that, to use the terms of the day, you know, sucking it up, manning it up, doing your job. And there are people that will look upon that and be appalled and there will be people that look upon that and wish there was a bit more of that today and neither of those people am I talking to right now. I'm talking about this. When they die, their stories die. Well, what happens when the apostles die? What happens when the first generation dies? And now you're left with the people the first generation taught like Polycarp, there you go, Polycarp, Irenaeus, and the last of the apostles to die, old John. John was most likely a teenager when he first started following Jesus. And at the time he wrote this book, it is generally thought that he was in his 80s, if not his early 90s. He was known for speaking of love. And I think one of the reasons was he saw what people had been doing with Jesus and what he saw what was going on in life and he said love love you've got to get Christ right and love right that's what you've got to get and so his focus his dri being driven back to the pen is to fill in those things that people are missing it's rather like John's gospel when we talk about the uh, the other gospels Matthew Mark and Luke we talk about them as one because they, they tend to tell the same stories with very few variations. And some of the variations are pretty important and, and amazing, but they're synoptic. They tell the same thing because they see with the same eye, synoptic. So John comes along later and his gospel tells the stories they didn't and then tells stories with a more spiritual light versus darkness battle rather than the different tacks that they took. Matthew was all about Jesus is the new Moses. Mark is a Jesus is the Christ and he really did live and here are Peter's sermons about it. Luke, here's a historian's look at it after I've interviewed all these people. So they're all very different. Now John looks back and sees a lot of books have been written. James, the Thessalonians, uh, the the pastoral epistles, the Corinthians, Romans. He sees all of this. Now, this is a really good opportunity for John to write a massive corrective and say, right, I've, I read Romans and I read 1 Corinthians and here's my, he, he doesn't do any of that. 
he looks at all of it and he does exactly what he did with his gospel. He tells you what seems to have been missed and he doesn't want to die with him. He wants to tell the story before he goes. Now, this time he's not going to tell Jesus stories like he did in his gospel. This time he's going to say the so what of it all. We've read Jesus' story, so what? What, 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 is, what does that mean to us and, and how do we then function since Christ happened? And see, that's something I say to myself a lot. I'll catch myself in a mood or in a situation where it'd be very, very easy to go off on somebody or to dismiss them, to go silent, ghost them, or to turn on them and debate them. And I, I have to keep remembering, Jesus happened. You have to watch, you have to be careful. Things have changed now. And because of that, I need to behave a different way. You might imagine that we get a lot of emails. We do a, a lot of emails. And I do try to answer every one. If I've not answered them in recent, I'd say the last month or so, by the time you watch this, please be aware that I'm going through a season of caring for my 92-year-old mother. And she's having very frequent trips to emergency rooms and surgeries. It has been a real struggle for her and I'm not going through it people say I'm sorry what you're going through no she's going through it I'm just her caregiver helping her and my sister would be if she lived here she loves mama just as much as I do and she's a huge support but she's in Texas and so mama's here and that's that's a stress and I, I'd like to respond sometimes when I respond I know what's gonna happen recently got an email if I'm a Baptist, do I have to be rebaptized to join your church? I wrote back. I was thinking, now this could be honest. It could be an honest question. Probably it's a fishing expedition. And it was. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm looking right outside at allergens right now. So I responded, absolutely not. We don't make those draw those kinds of lines. We welcome everybody. Welcome home. Well, guess what happened? <coughs> Got an email. So, you'll just accept the, you know, the, the Baptist or anybody else, did you? And I wrote back, I said, we don't draw lines. <coughs> we don't make judgments. Welcome home. Well, wrote back again. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, boy. Refreshing beverage. with um, why and, and he got you know, a little bit of Paul a little bit of James and you know the, you make judgments and I could write back and really go at him I could say why are why do you assume that whatever James and Paul says trumps what Jesus said in Matthew 7 why do you put more weight on that than and I could go through all that but why why instead I just write back we may never agree on this, but you're welcome here. I have to do that not because I'm a nice person, because I'm not a nice person. Wish I was. I'm a lot nicer outside than inside. Inside, it's a Tasmanian devil armed with baseball bats. I have to remember Christ happened. And First John helps me remember that. Well, here it is. Halfway through, lesson one, and we haven't even looked at the first verse. So we best do that. Do you know what I think? All right. 
that which was from the beginning. Oh, I love that because that call back to John 1, right? John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes. In other words, the living witnesses need to get this down before they're gone, which we have looked at, our hands have touched. This we proclaim about the word of life, word of life, Jesus. Please remember that most times when the Bible talks about the word of God or the word of life, it is talking about Jesus, not a book, but Jesus. Now that has very profound implications for the way we live our lives and for whatever lines we draw religiously or socially or politically for that matter. We need to remember that Jesus is the word. He is the way, the truth, and the life, yes, that's also recorded in the book of John, the Gospel of John. But he is also, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word of God, and the Word of life. Remember Jesus said that he had the words of life. Well, here we go. The life appeared. I just love that phrase. And we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Heaven came down. Jesus put on skin, Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself. He did not look upon equality with God, something to be grasped and held on to, but let go to come down and be obedient and lead us to eternal life. This is all exciting stuff. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, <clears throat> have a look. What do you see? What do you see here? No pressure. You're not in a classroom where I'm going to call on you. You don't have to avert your eyes, so no eye contact. He is a welcoming. There's nothing here about to make sure you measure up. It's we are proclaiming a story that we know the story because we saw it happen and we know it's true. And when we tell you the story and you come walk with us and fellowship with us, then the story is yours too. And this is all wonderful stuff. There's never a, it's kind of the anti-James. Now I love the book of James, but it's, as I told you when I went through, you cannot go to James without getting hurt. It's like, it's like not really taking care of your teeth and going to the dentist. You know, you have to, but it's going to hurt. John, on the other hand, is saying, come on in. And I love it. I just absolutely love it. Here we go. Guess what? He's going to return to his favorite metaphor. Let's call it that way. Or story structure, light and darkness. So this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I'm almost speechless. Try to find this in other gods. I don't care where you go. Adonis or Addis or Venus or Aphrodite or try to go north, go to Norse, and uh, go Odin and Thor and Loki. Go anywhere, find the gods, and then 
see if any of them are pure. You'll find they're not. They, uh, they may have super abilities, but they also have super personality deficits and disorders. You know, super good, but also they're like killing this. You know, it, it's just, but when we come to God, there's nothing in God we should fear when it comes to destruction, killing, hatefulness. No, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. You might very well send me an email and wonder if there is darkness in me. You know, wonder, is he going to respond in a hateful or a harmful way? Or is he, um, is he going to not even care about my story or situation? You have the right to do that because I'm a human being. And the fact is that as I'm not deity, there is evil and there is darkness in me. The cool thing is God's light takes care of that and it turns our darkness down. Let me see if I can explain this. When I was a boy, I was, I, I can still remember, and I was probably only four or five, but how shocked I was to realize we told that the moon was not a light. It had nothing, no lumens. All it was was reflecting sunlight from another part of the globe. The sun that had gone away from us was still there and that moon was a witness to it. That whole concept of being so bright yet having zero sources of light within itself. Think of this, recently we've upgraded the, the cameras at the soundstage and made the visual part of our worship much more appealing and thank you John Knutson and Dave Cassily, uh, Kirsten and everybody, uh, Greg Grant who had a, you know, put in the number of volunteer hours that are behind every video and every service are staggering and I'm, I thank God for them. <clears throat> when I'm on stage, the, the lights are on me. You might see, in fact, if I'm wearing a white shirt with a pattern, I'm wearing maybe some glasses, and there's even reflection, as if I'm up there shining, but I'm not shining. I have no light within me. I am bathed in the light from the stage, just like the moon is bathed in the light from the sun. Are you seeing where we're headed here? You and I are saved not because we necessarily are just full of light, joy, and rainbows and unicorns. We are, we are saved because God's light drives out the darkness. It pushes that back. And that's an amazing thing. And we can approach him without fear because there's no hidden darkness. By the way, sometimes we act as if there were. We'll say things such as, don't pray for patience. <laughs> Yeah, you pray for patience, God will really, 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 is that what you think of God? That he's up there going, oh boy, <laughs> I got him now. They prayed for patience. Let's break their car, make their kid run away from home, get their mom sick. Who are you praying to? That's not what God is like. He is light. So we don't treat him that way. We don't treat God as semi-karma either. We don't do this whole... Well, you know, um, you know, the weather's you know, kind of mild for spring, so that means for summer we're really going to have to... Really? You think God looks around and goes, oh, that's just a little bit too much fun. We're going to have to throw down some paint. Oh, God is light. 
trust God, run to the light, all right? If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. This is so important. Let's really get this down. Is this then saying, welcome to the light, except for those of you that have done naughty things? No. This walking is a particular habitual walk. Those who engage in destructive behavior, those who engage in hate-filled or divisive behavior, those who, um, who cause pain and don't care, almost sociopathic in the way that they don't care. And you can, you can have sociopathic behavior and not be a sociopath. I've heard a lot of sociopathic things from pulpits when the ministers weren't sociopaths, they just thought their God might be and they're just driving home these nails that aren't from God. And so often we'll say, well, welcome in. Whosoever will may come. Now here are the rules. Here are the hurdles. Because God didn't really mean whosoever will. He meant whoever makes it past all the hurdles. So don't do that with this passage. Every single day, you have multiple choices to make, darkness or light, walk in the darkness, walk in the light. How do you treat the person that bumped into you? How do you treat the person that bumped into your car? How do you treat the person whose car you bumped into? You know, you, we have life and life just piles on us. I was the first person at Walmart today, when this is recorded, a few weeks before you see it, uh, to get medicine that had been ordered from my mom. And of course, I'm standing there and the big gate's down and the lady comes out to set some things out. She goes, it'll be a few minutes yet. And I said, that's fine. There's no worry. I could have just gone, okay. But it, it brings more light if you tell them, I understand your situation. I'm not pushing you. I have no interest in making your day harder. I can wait for you. And you don't have to say it all that way. You can just say, that's not a problem. I'm in no hurry. Now, gate goes up, I come in, the medicine's there. You know, sometimes it isn't, but the medicine's there. Everything's good. And I want her to make sure, this lady on the other counter, that I'm, I'm, I wanna set the tone for a good day. That's light. You know what my nature is? My nature is not really darkness, but my nature is to not talk to people. It's hard for you to believe because when you see me, I'm talking, but I like to go quiet. And when I'm driving from place to place on this welcome home tour, I go quiet. I rarely say a word all day long. I even have an app on my phone that checks me into my hotels and gives me a key on my phone. So I don't, I just walk right through. But there are people made in the image of God between me and my goal. And I have a decision to make. Will I be light? Will I be darkness? Or will I try to ride the middle and be nothing? Which is quite hard to be. So choose the light. And he goes, and then you have fellowship with us. Well, what, what does it mean to choose the light? What does it mean to walk in the light versus walking in the darkness? This is your lucky day. 
Well, not today, but this is your lucky book because he's going to tell you exactly what he means when he says those who walk in the light and exactly what he means when he says those who walk in darkness. And it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. You can read ahead, but don't spoil it for the rest of us. All right. I will see you next week. God bless you. I'm so appreciative of you watching. Remember to send us your ideas, whether to do the Old Testament in batches or do just Jesus stories. Uh, and I don't say like just, we call him just as because he is just Jesus. Um, also send us a note with your address if you'd like to be on the map that we keep private. We don't share it with everybody. So I'll know, okay, we've got somebody in Dubuque or we've got somebody in Oak Ridge. That way I know where to drive and where to invite people. All right. Okay. God bless. See you next time. Cheers.